This is the MDRT Podcast. While every advisor wants their acquisitions to go well, many are unclear on what's needed for that to happen. During a recent Zoom conversation, David Grau Jr., president of Succession Resource Group, headquartered in rainy Portland, Oregon. I'm Kyle Atkins from Spartanburg, South Carolina, a 40-year member of the business and 25-year MDRT member and owner of the Kyle Atkins Financial Group here in Spartanburg. Shared best practices that lead to success when acquiring another business. This is something that we eat, sleep, and breathe on being Succession Resource Group. We are an M&A consulting firm, so we talk to a lot of buyers. And the challenging part is we talk to a lot of buyers who are seem very interested and committed. But then when you really start sort of unpacking, like, well, why aren't they successful? When we have another group of buyers that they'll acquire a practice or two minimum every single year. I would say quick hitters on things to do is number one, it's going to sound simple and it is, but it gets screwed up more often than you'd believe is commit the time. It's like any marketing activity. You know, if Kyle's going to grow his business and he wants to do it through seminars, well, Kyle, you would probably commit the time to get those things set up, create the workflows, the deliverables, and then you'd make the time to actually go promote it. And then you'd make the time to go do it. It sounds like simple and obvious. Well, of course you would do that. But we have so many buyers that they're interested in acquisition and they'll commit the time as in they will communicate their level of interest to one of the practices that we have listed for sale, for example. And then we'll write back and say, well, I'm glad you're interested. You seem actually like on paper to be a really great fit. Seller would love to get a meeting set up. You have availability next Tuesday or Wednesday. And the answer is, oh, you know, unfortunately I've got client meetings all next week and then we've got a vacation coming up. So maybe the third or fourth week in September, I could squeeze that in. You think, well, I, I thought this was this was an area of interest for you. So commit the time has got to be the number one, whether it is committing time to sourcing, whether it's committing time when you find someone to actually be talking to about this. And I don't care, even if it's, let's say it's an AUM-based book. If it's a you know fee-based practice and it's got, maybe it's a small one, 25 million in AUM. No, it's not a game changer. You know, Kyle, in that example, he's not going to retire early by buying it. But at the same time, if you approach it with the mindset, I'm going to treat this like it's a $25 million client. You approach it with that mindset. Granted, it's not. It's going to be 100 different households, you know, making up that $25 million. But if you approach it with that mindset and you prioritize it that way, you're going to have more at-bats than most of your peers. And the last one I'll say and then hand the mic to Kyle is the other thing to do is just do your homework is listen to podcasts like this. Go Google it. MDRT has got tons of great resources around this. There's lots of other trade groups that will publish information. We publish information on social media. Like, Just try to make sure, especially as a buyer, that you can be the smartest person in the room. Be the path of least resistance for the seller. Make it easy on them. Kyle, your thoughts? What we found from experience, and again, having, having done one acquisition and working on the two others now, the biggest thing that I, that I personally think that we need to do is make sure we're clear as to what the current owners are trying to achieve. And the guys and the gals that are out there just for the largest amount of money, you know, we may not be a, yep. a great fit. Nevertheless, if our cultures work together, uh, if they are looking to either sell off gradually into the sunset, well, that's marvelous. Or if they're going to take the check and they're gone the next day, <laughs> whatever it is, you know, we're right. meeting with that client. We're digging into what do you want and why? And we found that information, that exchange to be very valuable as we go back later. 
and as David, I'm sure knows, say these things can get very sticky. And it looks, it seems like sometimes the client or the seller is actually changing their mind as to what they want. As they get more factors that are, in, I guess, bringing information into the mix, uh, opinions change, and almost as an, it's an emotional thing, especially for an advisor that's been in the business for any period of time, 20 to 30 to 40, 50 years. It's, it's a complete lifestyle change for them. And uh, we find it to be very hard for many of the advisors to want to sail away. Most of us think we're invincible, rather. And, you know, we're going to do this thing till they take us out feet first. And that sounds great. And I hope to be doing this till, till they wheel me off. The facts are not necessarily matching up with the way it's going to be. But getting over that emotional hurdle helps us with the people we're discussing or the sellers we're talking to. And why are they doing it? Why do you want this thing to take place? And then we'll have, if we know the whys, we can help build the, the exit strategy and or the merger strategy to where everything kind of works together. That's the biggest thing, I believe. Well, and I love your comment on the just basically do what you as a listener are already great at with your clients is two ears, one mouth, ask mm -hmm. questions, and then just shut up and listen. Yes. Because to your point, it's we have so many times where we'll work with buyers that they're making great offers. And then just, you can just tell it's not resonating with the seller. It's because they don't know what the seller is looking to do post-sale. So Kyle, you're going to retire someday and I want to buy your amazing business. And I'd make you a great offer to buy your practice, get a three-month transition choreographed, and then you can go do something else. Yeah. If you don't know what that something else is, or you, you kind of like what you do and you like the clients and you want to maybe cut back to 10 hours per week and just have a corner office that you can come into, but don't have to like then I can make you an amazing offer. But if I didn't ask that question and find out what it is you see your post-sale life looking like, it's going to take a dozen offers of this shotgun approach before I might get something that sort of piques your interest when it's right. such an easy thing to just ask them. Like you may not be able to always solve for it, but you definitely can't if you don't ask. Absolutely. And the thing that, that you know we find is the sellers, it sounds good. They know they need to do it but then actually boiling down to their own mortality and the fact of, hey, I'm 75 or I'm 85 years old or I'm 80 and I want to keep doing this, but knowing without admitting it that, hey, I'm forgetting some things now. There's some things that are really not as sharp as they were a year or two ago, so I know it needs to happen. And how can I make it happen without impacting my clients? Because as I've worked with clients for 25 years plus, it's a difficult thing to have a 50-year history with a great client that you know and love and then be able to say, Hey, I'm, and they never use this language. I'm selling you to X, Y, Z, or we're merging with X, Y, Z. But the seller is always concerned about where they're going to end up. How do we make it as seamless as possible for our friends that have, that have helped us build this business and asking and giving them the opportunity to hang around. As you mentioned, David, have an office float in, float out, I mean, we'll give title. You can have any title you want. Doesn't make any difference to us. And we'll let your clients know that, hey, you're not gone and you're still advising. And if we need to ramp it up to the CEO, we can call you and get you back on the line if necessary. But that's some of the things that we're finding in most of the acquisitions that we're looking at is mortality and us knowing we need to do it, but kicking the can down the road. So, Kyle, is there an example of a time when someone changed their minds about something? How do you handle that? Great question. As an example, so we've been dealing with an advisor that's, you know, within several hours of our, of our practice and their primary concern, number one, when, why are we doing this and what do we want to do is they want to make sure that their clients know 
that there's a succession plan slash there's a somebody to step in when they need the help. So we've been talking. Now, this one's been going on for two or three years, which is still fine. We signed the buy-sell documents. So if this gentleman were to get run over by a truck, you know, we're the plan. We know the number. We know what to do. However, when you get right down to it, so now we're ready to start implementing. Well, you know, I really need to keep getting paid. Well, I can't buy you and pay you all the <laughs> revenue. And, you know, that's a great desire. It just doesn't work that way. How do we make sure that we're keeping them on board, but we're still getting the introduction? That's one example. The other example is this, is we actually met the price that was offered by someone else, and we're the perfect fit. But then beyond the price, now it comes to, hey, this doing the repapering and all this is scaring us to death. I don't know that we can do it because I would say respectfully, they like myself are old school. The thoughts of going from all paper to paperless is terrifying. I would not have done it unless I was made to by my broker dealer. So these things are all of a sudden, it's the perfect setup. Oh, I don't know if I can stand it or not. Oh, I sure do wish it was going to X, Y, Z or wish it was could stay in the family for another 25 years. Well, the fact is for the, for the family to be the, uh, the, the natural handoff, if you've got to work 10 more years, you might be in your 80s or 90s, and the, and the, other, the other partner might be in their 70s or 80s, so it's not practical. So the, the, the whole idea is an example of learning how to do the best we can do with what we have, where we are now, is trying to get that mindset of these things are urgent because you and I know I'm not guaranteed I'll be here tomorrow, so my plans better be in place. And as I... 20 years from now, I'll be much closer to not being here tomorrow. So make sure we've got everything kind of locked in and up. Make, making it to where it's easier. It's a much bigger deal to leave without having the plan and having the help or doing the merger than it is to go ahead and get it done and hang around. That's the end of this month's episode. If you'd like to subscribe, you can find us on SoundCloud and Spotify at MDRT Podcast. Thanks for listening and see you next time.